My name is Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and we're continuing a series called Rooted. And the reason why we're doing this series is because we want to be rooted in the doctrine of the gospel. We want to be rooted in the word of God because this is our source. Like if, if we don't have something guiding us, the truth guiding us, then all of a sudden we're left living lives just based off of our feelings or what culture says is in or okay, or what society says is, hey, that's good, that's, that's, that's not good, that's right, that's wrong. But instead, we actually look to the word of God as our time-tested, um, bottom line, ultimate source of truth, all right? And so that's what this whole series is about. You've heard us preach on different things. And, and what we're doing is we're actually going through our statement of beliefs, okay? And so on our website, um, in our bylaws as a church, we actually have a statement of beliefs that we adhere to. And so we're actually preaching through that. And so if you want more on that, you can go to our website and look in at our statement of beliefs. But we're going to continue that today. Um, and we're going to be talking about the lighthearted topic of the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, no joke. Um, you guys have never heard a sermon, most likely, on the doctrine of the Trinity. I have not, actually. And so preparing this week, I was like, Lord, I really need your help. So I've never had a sermon on this. I've never given one on this, especially in the nine years of us being a church. And so today, it's going to be fun for all of us, all right? Now, you may be asking, why are we preaching on the Trinity, right? Um, well, it's because it really does explain how God relates to us and how we relate to him. It gives the full explanation of that. And, you know, for several hundred years, um, uh, after Jesus and, and once the disciples dispersed and they started preaching and, and starting churches and the gospel went forward, the gospel eventually got into Europe and it really affected European culture, society, the, all the economics, certainly the church, this idea of the Trinity. And so over time, great theologians like Augustine and Athanasius and Origen, Tertullian, these men, they really committed themselves to understanding the truths of the scripture, the truths of who God was, and they started unpacking some of these bigger questions. And one of those was about the Godhead, otherwise known as the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what implications does that have in our faith? And so they thought it was a pretty big deal, but I'm guessing that for us, though, if we ask the question, does the Trinity really matter today? Many of us would say, well, maybe, yes, it does. I'm not really sure how it applies to my life, but I kind of believe in it in kind of a formal sense. So our heart today is actually look at our statement of beliefs. There's seven key points. You're looking for one of those three-point sermons. This is not one of them. This is a seven-point sermon. Seven is a very holy number, just so you know. Lots of sevens in the Bible, and so this is going to be a good message, I can already tell. Um, so we're going to start out, we're just going to dive right in. And so if you're thinking, hey, I didn't want to think today, um, sorry, you're going to have to think today. Um, if you just thought, hey, I'm just going to get kind of the one, two, three, and how this is going to just make my life better, that's not really this is what this is. What this is, though, is it's making you go deeper. And just so you know, if you follow Jesus, he's going to stretch you, he's going to prune you, he's going to make you go deeper than you want to go. He's actually going to invite you to go on a road that's more narrow than you're comfortable going on. He's actually going to call you to sacrifice more than you thought was possible. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a game. He is, he is the son of God, right? He is the king of kings. And therefore, we are being challenged and stirred to actually follow him and to go fully in with who God is and who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, all right? So that's where we're going today. I'm going to jump in to a scripture real quick, John 8, 
31 through 32, just to encourage us, give us a little bit of vision today. It says this in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, there is something to us abiding, having relationship, constant communication with Jesus. And at the same time, there is this part of truth, which is it's not just about relationship, it's actually about knowing the truth in that relationship, which is why the scriptures teach us that we're supposed to worship in spirit and truth, not just in truth or spirit, but both. So therefore, we look at this, we say, hey, there's a lot of truth here we're about to dive into. Some of it can get a little heady, but just hang on with me, because as we unpack this picture, which I'm sure that most of us in the room aren't coming out of reading a book on the Trinity last week, that is probably going to help us dive a little bit deeper and actually knowing the full intention, the full heart, and maybe potentially the full relationship that's available for us to have with God, all right? So here we go. Statement number one, we're gonna put them on the screen to help you out, is this. We believe in one God who has revealed himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at a passage in Deuteronomy 6, verse four. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now we have to understand the Bible was not originally written in English. Right? Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, parts of it written in Aramaic, and the New Testament was written into Greek. And Jesus actually, most people believe he actually spoke Aramaic, less of Hebrew, even though he probably knew it, because the common language in that area at the time was Aramaic. So you have Greek, you have Aramaic, you have Hebrew, and English is nowhere on the grid, okay? We thought we were that cool, we're not that cool, we weren't even around then, okay? So English came about a little later, right? And so at the time though, you take the Bible and so people are trying to translate Hebrew, a little bit Aramaic and Greek into English. And if you don't know this about languages, our language, although great and we love it, is actually not that deep, right? And so the Greeks kind of laugh at us like, you guys only have one word for that, we got five, you know? So that's why sometimes it's helpful to look at a passage and say, I wonder what that says in the Greek to maybe get a little bit fuller Meaning, all right? So in Deuteronomy 6, 4, this is, we have that verse. And so if you want a literal translation, this is what it would say. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our plural God, is one God. See, the word one in Hebrew is ekad. The same word used back in Genesis 2, 24, when God said concerning Adam and Eve, and they shall be one flesh. Not just one person, but one flesh. So this idea of two becoming one, right? At a marriage ceremony, we always talk about two becoming one, husband and wife. It's kind of this mysterious thing. So through one flesh, there shall be two. And so you take this concept about the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All of a sudden, it's talking about a hero Israel, Elohim, our plural God, our trinity, our tri-personality is one God. It's a mystery like Adam and Eve made one flesh. It's the same three persons and one. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, at the beginning of time, the creation of the world, here comes mankind on the scene and it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our, our likeness. Now, who was he talking to? Were you here? We weren't here. 
It was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which means you actually weren't created just in the image of Jesus. You were created in the image of the Trinity, of the Godhead, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's make man in our image, in our likeness, which means your actual existence and being in the way you were created was made in the eyes of the Trinity, which is probably enough for us to understand the value that that's actually where we come from. Now, the second point I want us to look at is this. Statement number two, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all co-eternal and all stand equally superior to time, free from the temporal distinctions of the past and future. So let's break this down. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this idea of them being eternal, right? So without the restraints of time. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So God the Father, forever and ever. Okay, so now let's talk about the Son. John 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, Jesus Christ had not become a Son over time. He was always the only begotten Son of God. You cannot be called the everlasting father unless you have an everlasting son, right? And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they're actually all there. In fact, the Holy Spirit, it says in Hebrews 9, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, again, we see this idea that the Trinity is outside of time, not limited by time as we are. That's important because they're not on the same playing field as we are. We're made in their image and their likeness, but we are not on the same playing field. You are not God, and as much as you try, you'll just find out how much farther away you really are, right? Now, let's go on to the third statement. We believe in God the Father, creator of all things, visible and invisible. This is a bold statement for many people because what we're saying is that God actually did create you and I, created the universe, created the planets, created the stars, the ones we found, the ones we haven't. He's actually created all of it and actually he's created the entire universe that, by the way, is going to outstretch our telescopes. The universe will outstretch our minds. It, it, it does not have this end where it's like, okay, we've kind of figured it out. As soon as people find one thing, they're like, wait a second, there's like a billion more things. We thought we got it. All right, as soon as we zoom in on a microscope, it's like, hey, yeah, that's the smallest thing. Someone invents another microscope, it's like, there's smaller things. I mean, as you continue to dig deeper into God's creation, you are continually blown away by how all this intricately weaves together and how could God in his imagination, creativity, create not only 7.5 billion people currently, but the billions of people have already lived, the new children about to be born, and by the way, it's not even counting into all the bugs, insects, plants, and animals, and everything else. There's just a lot of stuff going on. I mean, how does he have the time to design that? Oh, he goes beyond time. He's eternal. He is superior. You know, I'm not a musician, as you're well aware. I'd never get invited to play up here. But I have learned a few things about music this last week, okay? That in music, there are only three structural tones. 
These are the principal chords for all harmony. The tonic, the subdominant, and the dominant, or the first degree, fifth degree, and the fourth degree. Now, these are the three major tones, and out of them actually comes all of our music. And as I read this last week, everything I read said, you cannot have harmony without these three. There is no harmony and sound without these three structural tones. Now, you can't really see the tones, but you can hear them. You can't see the wind, but you can feel it. Creation can be seen or felt or heard or all three. And we have to remember that God, being our creator, created us actually to have connections back with him, even though we can't put our finger on it all the time. It's like, well, I didn't see that, but I felt something. Well, I, I, I didn't hear that, but I saw that. You're just, there's God creating our being a connection back to him because remember we were created to worship him. That is why we exist, to worship him, to exalt him. No, that does not mean to sit around and sing all day, although that is part of it. It means that your lifestyle is a worshipful lifestyle back to him in all that you do and all your interactions and everything you do at work, at school, with your family, in private, in public is actually meant to be worshipful to him. Because he's a creator God, he's everywhere and he sees everything. And therefore, any time of the day, you have an opportunity to give him worship and praise. In Colossians 1, 15 through 16, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, speaking of Jesus. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I want to remind us that the Bible is not take part and leave part. Like Christianity is not, I will take this part of God because I understand it and I like it and I experience that, this part I don't want anything to do with, right? It's like, I love the grace of God. I'm not so sure about the truth of God, but I do like the grace, right? And that, that's not how it works. You cannot, you cannot kind of halfway yourself into this. Just like you can't really do that in marriage. That doesn't go so well. You know, like it, you, you can't, you take on the full person. When I got married to my wife, I made a covenant to love the whole of her. Even the things I wasn't so sure about. We won't get into those today. And she had a lot of concerns about me. Okay, but there's a mystery when two become one, when you actually get to know each other over time. I've been married 12 years now. I know a lot more about her than I did, and I'm still getting to know her, which, by the way, is kind of a picture of our relationship with God. As much as you know about him today, you're just, you're going to look back in 10 years and say, wow, I like knew nothing. <laughs> you're going to feel that way, you know? It's like, as soon as you feel like you're on top of the world, he's like, hey, just, I know you climbed that mountain. That's actually a hill. There's actually Everest over there. It's like, oh, wow. Uh, uh, wow, okay, I thought I was feeling pretty good about myself. That's great for five seconds and then realize actually more to go. That's why he wants to call us into a relationship that goes deeper than ever ends, which is why the relationship with God should never be boring. It's always growing. It should be the same thing in your marriage. Marriage ain't easy. It takes work. But the desire is that the trajectory of marriage is this, not honeymoon and then tailing off, but that it's this, guys. That is God's desire, not just for marriage, but actually for us, relationship with him. Statement number four, we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son who came into this world to reveal the father and was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus Christ was the creator of everything for by him, all things were made. 
We further believe that in Christ dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead and bodily form, and that he was very good and very man. Now that's a lot of words, right? You're thinking, wow, that's very confusing. Um, Let me sum it up for you. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. In John 1, 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Why is this so interesting? Because you have to realize this. Of all the world religions that I am aware of that have ever come and that actually exist today, none of them actually talk about a God that is so good and powerful and mighty and holy coming down to our earth and living amongst us. They all send a prophet or a messenger or some other person. And all of a sudden, the only person actually can hear from God. And then they write a book about it and then everyone believes it. But actually this God sent his son Jesus to earth and said, I'm actually gonna be with you. And in fact, so much so that it says this in John 14, eight, Philip, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. What's he saying? Hey, just show us what God's like. I mean, Jesus, you're cool. I mean, trust me, we love you. We've seen you some awesome miracles, but we really like to see like the big cheese, you know? We want to see God the Father. I mean, you know, because you're Jesus and you're not as strong as we thought. You don't own four CrossFit gyms and, you know, you're maybe a little shorter than we thought. And you're not like Saul. You're not as, you're a little scraggly. And uh, we were looking for kind of a king, you know, like a superhero, Spider-Man, Batman combo. Just somebody could come and just dominate all the enemies. Because right? isn't that what we asked for? We asked for just this king to come in and crush our enemies. And God said, well, yeah, I could have done that. But I chose to come a different way. I actually chose to come humbly, to come in the form of a servant. And by the way, the way the world's going to be changed is actually by me serving it. Not by coming and controlling it. Not by getting more seats in Congress or the right judge in the court or the right president. It's actually not by more money being thrown around or by creating businesses where all of a sudden now you control more real estate and dictate what happens. Did you know that's actually not the model, even though many times that's the Christian model? I'm the Jesus model. He didn't come to just take up all the territory and control and possess. They tried that in Europe, by the way, for like a thousand years. It didn't work out very good. Now look at Europe. Church isn't thriving there. Wonder why. Now God's restoring it. But man, when you come in and you get the wrong idea about control and power, and even today in America, we have that same mindset. Let's just do what the world does, but do it a little nicer, a little cleaner, a little holier. Let's just smile more in public. No, Jesus said, I'm coming to serve. That is the way the kingdom will be rushed in because I will come humble. I will come low and I will show you what the father is really like. Now, Jesus was not only humble, he's actually very powerful. <laughs> but he didn't, he came to serve. And when we understand that Jesus is God in the flesh, and we understand that, and I'm imagining myself being one of those disciples, and, and they hear this thinking, wait a second. Jesus, God in the flesh, you're saying if we've seen you, we've seen the Father. You're saying if I hug you, it's like hugging God? It's like, whoa! Like the creator of the universe, the almighty, all-powerful, you chose to come here with us? To eat steak with us? To go on long walks on roads to different, you, you're with us? Wow. That's what God the Father's like. See, but you can't know God without knowing Jesus. 
Statement five is this. We believe in Jesus Christ, preexistence, incarnation, virgin birth, sinless life, miracles, substitutionary and atoning death, bodily resurrection, bodily ascension into heaven, exaltation, present rule at the right hand of God, coming personal return in power and great glory and in his everlasting kingdom and dominion. Keep the one up there because now you're looking up in your dictionary for words. Um, let me sum it up this way. We believe that Jesus existed before he came to earth. And when Jesus came to earth, he came sinless. When he lived on the earth, he lived sinless. When he left the earth, he left sinless. Remember, Jesus was crucified on a cross, not by the own merits of his sin, but because he willingly went and died on the cross to be a sacrifice, a perfect one with that blemish on our behalf so that you and I did not have to get up on the cross and be crucified. He took it on us. He took our shame, our sin, then and now. And he said, I will bear the sins of the world, of all of mankind, whoever believes in me that I actually did this, that I actually am who I say I am, that I am the son of God. I've been around since the beginning, that I lived a perfect life. If you believe in me and then I have the power over death, then you can know my father. If you don't do that, you'll never know him. You'll just pray to pretend gods, not the real one. And sadly in this world, there's billions of people that have pretend gods. And they keep praying, keep hoping for just some sort of breakthrough to come. And the truth is, if you don't know Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to know the Father except through me. That is good news and hard news. <laughs> to actually realize we actually need help. We need major assistance to actually be redeemed. We actually have to humble ourselves as God humbled himself to gain access to the Father. Put it this way, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. You see, this is how God saves us. Do you see the Trinity and the gospel kind of going together? Do you see how they're kind of shaping up similarly? You see, God saves us by sending his son and his spirit. Our salvation hangs on these two sendings. Without God the Father sending his son or his spirit, there is no pathway. There is no hope. Without them, God would still be a father, but he wouldn't be our father. He would still have a son but he wouldn't have many sons. The spirit would still be holy, but not at work in us. You see the Trinity on full display. Then we begin to see the relationship that God's been forming since the beginning. In Acts 3, 19 to 21, it says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Isn't that so encouraging that our sins will be blotted out? Like blotted, that means erased. It's not disappearing ink sins, you know? Like, oh, he wrote all the bad stuff. Oh, it's gonna come back to haunt me in a week. Uh-uh, it is all, it is all or nothing. It is erased. If we would but repent and turn to him, he erases the past. And guys, every one of us has a past. Do not fool yourselves into thinking you were pretty good. You were never that good. 
Comparison to other people in this room, maybe you felt like you're pretty good, but we are told not to compare ourselves to each other. We're told to compare ourselves with who? Jesus Christ. And he was real good. He was perfect, which means however good we think we are, pales. The gap is so broad for every one of us. It is, it is, it is impossible to bridge that gap to the Father apart from him. When you understand that, huh, you say, wow, thank you that we get to repent and have our sins blotted out. Number six, statement six and then seven, we'll get onto it. We acknowledge his lordship that Jesus Christ is Lord over all things in heaven, on earth, and under earth. Let me read you a verse that shares that with us. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I'll be honest, that one we stole from the Bible. So, you see, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not merely a title. It refers to his person and to his position of power and dignity and honor. And what this verse means should kind of shake us a little bit. Because what it means is that no intelligent being, whether angels or saints in heaven, whether Satan himself or demons, or the unsaved in hell, Everyone in God's universe will bow either willingly or they will be made to do so at the name of Jesus. One day he is returning and he's not coming back with a smile on his face. One day Jesus will return for his bride, for his people. And where this gets real for us guys is that this single-handedly should motivate us to not shy away when the opportunity presents itself. To not say, you know, I'm just going to let you believe what you want to believe. And if, if you do that, you're just hoping someone else is going to tell them. And you just don't know. You don't know if God positioned you at that moment at Thanksgiving dinner or at the workplace or next to someone on the bus or a neighbor and just it comes up. And you, you just don't know. But if you believe the Bible, what is true, what is true is that only those who have professed their faith and loyalty to Jesus are the ones who will have access to the Father and access in heaven. Everybody else will not be there. They'll be destined for hell, which is a horrible place to be. And yet, there's a reality, a sobering reality, that that should stir us and motivate us to say, you know what? I'm going to push through my own fear of man or my own awkwardness just to have the conversation. Just to say, hey, this is what I believe, and you may not want to hear this, but He's changed my life, and I want you to know Jesus because that's the only way to have that relationship. The last statement is this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, his present ministry, his indwelling, his empowering, his impartation and gifts for today, and his transforming power in the lives of all believers. Now, I'm making a safe assumption here, which is probably the majority of us from our church backgrounds didn't have this statement of beliefs read to us, particularly number seven. Okay? But remember, it is the Trinity. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not on the JV team. He is on varsity. And if you treat him as in JV, you will regret it the rest of your life. Um, he was in the beginning. We were created in his likeness too. It's God three in one. In 1 Corinthians 12, four through seven. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God 
who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Do you see that right there? It's capturing the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. By the way, they're all at work for our good. And the manifestation of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is actually not just for our good here in this building. It's for their good out there. It's actually meant to be a gift to mankind that when people have access to relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's meant to gift and bless them. It's meant for you to pray for someone or to share something with them that maybe God is speaking to you in your heart for them to provide breakthrough for their lives. How many people in this room have had someone pray for you that helped kick the door open to breakthrough? I have many a times. It wasn't me figuring it out. It was God wanting to speak through someone to move on my behalf to rescue me or to help me or to convict me in something. And I'm so grateful for that. In fact, in Galatians 5, it says this about the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The best way to know how to describe this, the Holy Spirit, is by using water. Water, right? We all drink water. We should be drinking water. If you're not. Um, but water, okay? So um, you can drink water, and it goes in, it goes down, it kind of soothes you, it helps you, it nourishes you, but it just goes in. We don't see it. You can also have a bucket of water dumped on you, okay? Maybe it's a practical joke or just for fun. You can dump water on someone so they get wet, mostly wet. You can also splash water on somebody, right? When you're wet, you kind of splash on other people. You can kind of give them a hug. You know, no one likes to do that when it's like you're wet and they're drying. Like, hey, come here. No, no, no. You know, I, you can get that water on them, right? And then the fourth thing is you actually be submerged in water. You can be thrown into a pool or something like that. You can be completely underwater. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the indwelling, the drinking, the empowering, the dumping, the imparting is the splashing, and the transforming is the submerging. That's why it's vital that we understand the Godhead. Because you need to know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all at work on our behalf. I want us to stand as we close today. Invite the band on up. You may be still asking, okay, why? Like, why does it matter that I need to know about the Trinity? Why does this actually matter that I need to really be cleared on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because the kind of God we have determines the kind of relationship we will have with him. The kind of God we have determines the kind of relationship we will have with him. Because if you only have an understanding of one person and not all three, then you're missing out on the full relationship he's intended for you to have. In fact, the relationship he actually created you to have. So how does that relationship work itself out in our lives, though? I want to kind of close with this illustration. It may make some sense here. You may know that um, every ray of light is pure white. And if you pass it through a prism, you will divide that light into three primary colors. Those colors are yellow, red, and blue. And now the flowers we see in the field do not have any color whatsoever. Do you know that? They are actually colorless but they have the power to absorb or reflect the light rays falling upon them. For example, a red rose absorbs all the color rays except for red. And since it reflects red, I see a red rose. You can apply that same thing to everything in life. And by the way, that's from fifth grade science. We all took it, we just missed it. 
but light. You know, you know what darkness is <clears throat> defined as? The absence of light. Did you know if the lights went off in this room right now, completely pitch black, zero light coming in, there'd be no color. As soon as the lights come on, color, shirts, stage, our skin, everything lights up. You actually have no color without the light. You see, when you absorb the light, when it comes into your entire being, you're filled with the light of God. And yet you're not just meant to just simply absorb the light, but actually to reflect the light. Even in creation, get this, even in creation of animals, plants, everything, nothing would be living without the sunlight. The sunlight comes in and actually gives life to everything. Everything else can be in play. Without the light, it doesn't grow. With us, with, without the light, we're literally in utter darkness, which is why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I have come to shine on your dark places, which is why one little candle can walk into a dark alley and light it up, which is why this place can be completely pitch black and one flashlight goes on and now there's light. It just takes a little bit of light to dispel the darkness. But you have to let the light in. The light we're talking about is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So how we're going to end today is this. I just got a sense that um, there's a desire in the room for us to absorb the light, but maybe we're not all absorbing all three. Um, some of us, you're not absorbing God the Father. Because whatever woundings happen in your life in pain, earthly father, that they're present or not present or whatever's happened, that all of a sudden it skewed your view of God the Father. And so you actually haven't allowed him to be a daddy to you. You know, that's what he wants to be. He wants to be the father running on the road to the prodigal son or daughter and saying, hey, <laughs> so glad you're back. But some of us, we've, we've missed it. We haven't absorbed, we haven't let in Jesus. And so we've been saying, no, I'm, I'm down with God. I believe in God. You know, absolutely. God bless America. I'm, I'm good. I'm great. <laughs> but when it comes to Jesus, things get a little awkward. Because what that requires actually for you to put your faith and trust in someone and to lay your life down for him and to say, Jesus, I'm in. And I believe that actually I need help. I can't clean myself up. Only you can do it. Or for some of us, we may be missing the Holy Spirit. You know, hey, I'm God the Father, I'm good with that. God the Son, I'm all about it. Holy Spirit, I don't know. A little uncomfortable. I'm not really sure what I think about that. But without the Spirit, you're missing the Godhead. You're missing the full relationship that God's intended for us to have. So I don't know where you are today, but we're going to end. Just We're going to worship here. I want you to stay where you're at. And we're going to ask one simple question just to ourselves. You can ask it quietness in your own heart or out loud. Just say, God, what part am I missing? Or is there an aspect of a relationship we've talked about today that maybe I'm missing? Something I haven't understood, something I haven't let into my life. Because you can only reflect what you've already absorbed. And so, Lord, we just ask right now that you would move. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just pray, would you come? Would you move in our hearts? Would you reveal to us your nature? Reveal to us who you are. If there's any place that we've missed it, that we've been ignorant or just haven't known God, you would reveal yourself three in one. We pray, Jesus' name.